0: if you don't have bibles with you there's bibles under the pews but we are in John chapter 6 and we've come to to our final study in John chapter 6 and we're looking at verses 60 through through 70 through 71 therefore many of his disciples when they heard this said This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. I, I frequently pray for revival um, in our land. I pray for, for another great awakening to take place in our country. I, I look at, at history and I see times in which God's people were asleep. And there was a great awakening that took place in which... People who once had such a small view of God and weren't in love with the gospel, their view of Christ and their view of the gospel radically changed. And they would go and they would proclaim the good news from city to city, state to state. Men like like Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield and, and several others who would go and their sermons would be published, and people would read them, and they were weighty, and they were such that that people would see their sin, and people would see it in such a way that they would just plead for, for forgiveness, and we would just see incredible works take place in the church, and not only in the church, but in our country. You Think of how many great universities have come from the time of, of the Great Awakening, in which people... We're so eager to learn God's word and to grow in their knowledge of Him. I think of people in my own life where you just, I I desire so much for them to come to know Christ. You're with me with that, right? Family, friends, where just more than anything, you want them to know your Savior. You want them to hear the gospel and to to know him. I think of people who were once a part of our church and they are no longer walking with the Lord at all. People who I taught in youth ministry who no longer are walking with the Lord at all. And my heart breaks for them. I think that's, that's probably the hardest thing to ever experience is, is to see somebody who who once appeared to be in such a place of, of learning and growing and wanting to hear to being in a place of not wanting anything to do with our Savior. And you see here in, in John chapter 6 where it says, Therefore, many of his disciples, and when it refers to disciples here, in verse 60, it's not talking about the 12. It's referring to, the, it's using the word learners. There's those that were there and they were learning and they were, they were a part of what was taking place. They had seen the miracles. They had seen the feeding of the 5,000 men and all of the women and all of the children. They're seeing all these things take place and they're following him and they're, they're learning from him and they're there and they've, they've filled up all of the places where you could stay. They're camping by wherever it is that he's at And they're there, and it says, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? This is hard. It's a hard saying. Who can understand it? It's not just that it was something that was difficult to understand. They did not want to hear it. It goes from there to say... um, When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? They didn't want to listen to it. They were offended by the message. And then in verse 66, it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. From that time, many of the people that were camping with him and wandering with him, going with him wherever he was going, they, they went back to their old lives. They went back to whatever it was that they were doing before and they walked with him no more. Why? Because they didn't want to hear what was being said. John MacArthur in his book, Hard to Believe, begins by saying this. The... The first role of successful merchandising is to give consumers what they want. If they want bigger burgers, make them their burgers bigger. Designer bottled water in 6 fruit flavors, done. Minivans with 10 cup holders, give them 20. You've got to keep the customer satisfied. You've got to modify your product and your message to meet their needs if you want to build a market and get ahead of the competition. Today, the same consumer mindset has invaded Christianity. The church service is too long, you say. We'll shorten it. One pastor guarantees his sermons will never last more than seven minutes. Too formal? Wear your sweatsuit. Too boring? Wait and hear our band. If the message is too confrontational or too judgmental or too exclusive, scary, unbelievable, hard to understand, or too much of anything else for your taste, Churches everywhere are eager to adjust that message to make you more comfortable. And I look and I just see it everywhere. Look, and and the desire for people to be comfortable, the desire for people to be in a place where it's entertaining or it's what they or their itching ears want to hear. Jesus didn't speak like that. He spoke in such a way that the people are saying, this is a hard saying. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't want to hear it. I'm in such a place where this offends me. What you're saying offends me. And I look at this, and, and I pray to God that us as a church, us as God's people, would never shrink back from proclaiming the fullness of the gospel. That there would never come a point where we look and say, let's not talk about sin, because people don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear that 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 lifestyle is sin or or to, to live in such a way where it's just fornication or adultery or to be in such a place of of I'm I'm leaving my spouse or being in such a place of I'm gonna I'm gonna go and just and, and pour myself into more and more money and, and, and doing everything I can to just feed on my flesh and and to have a little compartment there for Christ and to, to be in such a place where, where we just change the gospel to where it is so different than the gospel of Scripture. I pray that we would never do that. I pray that we would never come to a place of of being in, in, in such a mindset that we could just tell people, like, all you have to do is this. And if you just do this, you can keep everything else the same and be indistinguishable from the world, but just... Say this, or do this, or go here. And you look in Scripture, and Jesus says things like, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and himself destroyed or lost? Is himself destroyed or lost? We come to a, a, a place of looking at this, where these people are hearing these things and just saying, "This is hard. This is hard to listen to." I don't want this in my life. I don't want to hear this. What is it that they don't want to hear? We have just come to the end of we're, we're in the eighth sermon of 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 a s- study just in, in John chapter six alone. Alone. So we've had seven sermons so far in John chapter six, and I think it's possible to get to a place where. Where in, in looking at it in detail, going through eight sermons in John chapter 6, we can fail to see the forest through the trees. We, we've looked at this, this section that's known as the bread of life discourse. Um, beginning in verse 22 and, and following. But the bread of life discourse where Jesus is speaking specifically to these people um, with reference to being the bread that would come from heaven. I want to read through it and then specifically look at verses 60 through 71. But let's try to understand what is it that is a hard saying? What is it that they don't want to listen to in this bread of life discourse? Let's begin in verse 22. On the following day when people were standing on the other side of the sea, um, people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which the disciples had entered. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered and says to them, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Just stopping there. What was hard to listen to? Here these guys are coming, and, and, and these men and women are coming, and they're coming to Jesus seeking him. But he just looks right through them and sees their hearts. He had just fed the 5,000 men and all of the women and all the children, multiplying the fish and the loaves. But they're coming to him, and Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You're coming because you ate the loaves and were filled. You're coming because you want more food from me. You're not coming because you see me to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You're not coming because you see me to be the Messiah. You're not coming because you see your spiritual need and that you, like the, the Pharisees or like the scribes or like the Sadducees, are hypocrites in whom you, you, you're, you're, you're such a place where you, you think that everything's okay, but you're so far from me. You're not coming for those reasons. You're coming because you want to be filled. You don't want to be changed. You just want to be fed. Think of the health, wealth, prosperity teaching that takes place today. Teaching things like God wants everyone to be healthy. God wants everybody to have money. God wants everybody to drive a nice car and to have a nice house. And to have all these things. And all you got to do is name it and claim it. Guess what? Groves of people go to hear messages that are like that. But that is not the message that Jesus is saying here. If he would have said, okay, just come. You guys, if you want to follow me, come. And when you come, I'll feed you. Every day, I'll feed you. And just come. Just be with me. Be here. He doesn't say that. He says, you seek me because you saw the, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Don't settle for stuff that perishes, but for me. Feed upon me. They answer and say to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? What should we do? What should we do so that we can do things like this and we can see the miracles and we can do the miracles and we can do all of these things? And Jesus' response is, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. This is the work that you believe, that you believe in him. You want to know the work? Believe in him whom he sent. Believe in me, Christ is saying. It's a difficult saying. They don't want to hear that. They want to see miracles. They want to be fed. They want their flesh just covered. They want the Romans to be put aside. They want the Messiah to come and set up a kingdom. They want things now. So they say to him, what sign will you perform then? That we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? Our fathers ate the man in the desert and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They, gave, they, they, they ate bread every single day. You fed us once. We want food every single day. What what sign will you perform? And Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread that, that the manna was pointing to was Christ who came down and he's saying, I will give life to the world. That's a hard saying. They didn't want to hear it. They say, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now they hear this. It's glorious. I mean, as far as just this picture of God and his sovereignty and in his power to be able to go to these people and say, all that the Father gives me will come to me all of them the one who comes to me i will by no means cast out of all that he's given me i'll lose none of them i will raise them up at the last day well again they complained about him they hear this message and their first thought is i don't like what i hear i don't i don't like what you're saying you're saying that that you're in such a place where If we believe in you, we'll have everlasting life. That you're the bread of heaven. That you're the one that's coming down. That the Father has given you all of those, and they'll all come to you. We don't like what we're hearing. They're complaining, saying, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they shall be taught, all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. And the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? I'm the bread of life. And they're just saying like, how can he say that? How can he say that he's going to give us his flesh to eat? And they just start arguing amongst each other, complaining about what's being said. And so Jesus says to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Eat me. Be in a place where all of your hope, everything that sustains you, everything that is that which you look to for salvation, it is me. Eat of me. Feast on me. Don't taste of me. Don't just have me in this little tiny compartment of your life. Lose your life for me. Give yourself entirely to me. Place all of your hope in this salvation in me. This is the message that's saying, and what do they do? They say, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? I don't want to hear any of it. I don't want anything to do with this message. And they left. They wandered. They all went back to what they were doing before. Jesus says to them, does this offend you? Does this message Offend you. I think of the people who have sat in these pews, and there are some where there's no evidence at this particular point that they're walking with the Lord anymore. Given a sanctuary like ours and the people who are here, I think the message would be for each person here this morning as far as does the message that Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that all that the Father has given him will come to him, Of all that the Father has given him, he'll lose none of them. And you must believe in him to have everlasting life. You must feed on him. He can't be in this tiny little compartment of your life where you go and you do church, but you're indistinguishable from the world the rest of the time. Is he your Lord and is he your Savior? Do you follow him? Is all of your hope and salvation in him? Do you look at your life and say... If I were to die, the only hope that I have that I will spend eternity in heaven is because Christ hung on that cross for my sins and he took my sins upon himself and then he imputed unto me his righteousness and it all came by faith. It's not based upon my works, but it is all completely of him. Or do you hear that in you to say, that that offends me? One of the people who I could think of who is no longer sitting in these pews said to me, just so you know, When you talk about all of us being sinners, I never bought into that. Never. Sat here for years, and yet he says, I never bought into that. Do you? Does it offend you that God says, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks after me. Does it offend you that God says that your righteousness is like filthy rags in my sight? Does it offend you that you are empty-handed and that you have nothing to offer Him? Does it offend you that you must come to Him and, and, and by faith alone, not based upon your works, but by faith alone, that is your only hope in this life and for all eternity. It's not based on whether you were a good guy or a good young lady or whether you think that you've worked hard, or you're a good parent, or whatever else it is. It is solely based on the work of Christ upon the cross to forgive you of your sins and to give you righteousness. Does that offend you? Jesus is saying, does this offend you? Does it offend you? Is this offensive to you? Do you look at it and say, I don't like that message. It's hard to hear. I don't want to hear it. Do you fit into that camp of don't say there's only one way to get to heaven. I think all roads lead to heaven. Do you create a gospel in your own mind that says to me God is like this and it's totally separate from what's found in scripture. Do you look at lifestyles of people and see people and say you know I'm not going to say that's bad. I'm not going to say they shouldn't do that to each their own. Are you in a place where you look and you just say, I know Jesus says this, but I don't think he really meant that, and then you just decide what it is that you'll interpret the way that you want to interpret, what it is that you want to believe, and the rest of it is just offensive to you? Or do you look and you say, this is my authority, what he says is right, and that is what I'll cling to, and if he tells me the only hope in this world for me is Christ and him crucified and... I count everything else as loss in comparison to the excellency of Christ my Lord. Is that what you cling to or is it offensive to you? Because Jesus is going to his people and says, Does this offend you? What then if I should see the Son of Man ascend where what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? What if you were to see Christ just rise? Jesus is saying to them, what if I just rose right from where I'm at? And is, and they're at the right hand of the Father. What happens then in your mind? Because they're looking at just saying, like, just give us more bread. Give us something more to eat. I just want more. Give me more. Show me a sign. Do a wonder. What do we need to do to do wonders too? And, and this is where they're at. And Jesus goes from there and says, it's the Spirit who gives life. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. It's the Spirit that gives life. He gives life. He's going to these people and just saying, just so you guys know, it's the Spirit who is the one who gives you life. Your flesh, all the works of your flesh, all that you could ever muster up, it doesn't profit you anything. I mean, as far as like the, this whole movement of like a self-esteem gospel, Jesus is saying, no, you got nothing. The only thing that takes your dead spirit in in, in which you are dead in your sins and trespasses, the only thing that makes you alive is the grace of God that does that, that quickens you. You're dead in your sins and trespasses. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. There's some of you who do not believe. You're hearing all these things, and Jesus knows. He knows completely who it is that's in that audience that believes, and who it is that does not believe. He knows, as he's here right now, who it is that's there who believes, and who does not believe. Who it is that's offended? Who's sitting there right now just saying, "Like ah, I don't like any of this. Can't wait to get out of here." And he knows. He says. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. He knew from the beginning. And so Jesus said, verse 65, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. No one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my Father. Why would he say that? He says things like that because he knows the state of our depravity. It's not that you're in such a place where you desire so much to come to him but you're just not allowed to. Our hearts are in such a place where we're so blinded by sin and so dead in our trespasses that we would never, ever, ever desire to go to Christ. Apart from that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Apart from that work of God in our lives drawing us to himself. That's a hard saying. It's a hard saying, especially in this day and age, where people look and say, like, I'll do whatever I want to do. When God saying, no, you won't. You'll, you'll always go away from me. You, you love darkness rather than the light. Your ways are evil. You'll always go opposite of me. I'll tell you, the only reason why I'm a believer here this morning and the only reason why you are is because of the grace of our God to work in your hearts, to take hearts of stone, and to change them. All the glory goes to him. That's a hard saying for a lot of people, because they look and say, no, 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 no. It was me. It was me. And God's just saying, no. I've saved you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus says to the 12. Do you also want to go away? What about you? Do you also want to go away? Do you also want to leave? Do you also want to go back to your old lifestyle? I would venture to say that if you were a believer here this morning... You're saying, absolutely not. The person who lived a life of just being consumed by drug addiction, you want to go back? You'll say, no. When you used to go to bed and you were so afraid of dying, do you want to go back to that? No. No. When you looked at all the sins that you ever committed and there was this weight that was upon you and so much guilt that covered you and then to just know that you've been made white as snow and the righteousness of Christ has been placed upon your account and he's hurled your sin into the depths of the sea. Do you want to go back to being under the law and do you want to go back to being under bondage? Do you want to go back to that old man? The believer here this morning says, absolutely not. I don't ever want to go back to that place again. I never want to be that old man again. Here Peter just says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where would I go? Do we want to go back? Where would I go? Any of you guys want to go back? Your response should be like, Peter, where would I go? Where would I ever want to go than into the arms of my Lord? He goes from there to say, for you have the words of eternal life. I mean, as much as that old lifestyle may draw us and and, and pull us and there's a desire to maybe go back and to fall into sin and to backslide and do those things again, when we think of eternity, when we think of where we will spend eternity... Whether it is entering into the joy of the Lord, entering into his presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, into his glory, being with him. He's our God and we are his people and we belong to him and he wipes away every tear and there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more sin at all. All the former things are put away, everything's been made new and we get to enter into the joy of the Lord with him or spend eternity on blackness, darkness, everlasting fire in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm can't die. The fire is quenched. The worm cannot die. Being in a place of everlasting torment, when we look at eternity and we look and we say, do you, do you also want to go away? Our response is, where would we go? Where on earth would I go? To whom would I ever go to? You alone have the words of eternal life. You're the one that has the words of eternal life. You're the one that I go to for my salvation. You alone. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ. We know who you are. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. This is a description of his position of you are the Messiah. Where would we go? You're the Messiah. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you? Twelve. And one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. He knew. He knew who it was who would betray him. He knew who it was that would leave. When you look at unbelief and you look at these things and you look at the ones that say, I want to go back. I want to go back. I don't want to follow him anymore. I want to go back. Jesus is saying, I knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. I chose you, the 12, but I already know that one of you is a devil. One of you will betray me. And he spoke of Judas. You think of the other ones. Do you also want to go away? Where would we go? And they followed him. They followed him. For the rest of their lives, they followed him. The message was such that that They knew the gospel and they knew that Christ was the Messiah. They knew that when they saw him die on the cross and rise again from the dead, that he was their Savior. There was no doubt in their minds at that point. Do you also want to go away? No. Peter? Peter was imprisoned by Herod for preaching the gospel thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. Do I want to go away? No. I want to preach the gospel. I treasure you above all things. I know who my Savior is. I know who the King of kings and Lord of lords is. I will, I will go to prison for the sake of proclaiming the gospel. And history tells us that he was put to death when they went to crucify him. He asked to be crucified upside down so that he wouldn't die in the same way as his Lord. Do I want to go away? No. Crucify me. Just crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die the way he died. James, the son of Zebedee. Do you want to go away? No, I'm going to go to Spain and preach the gospel. I'm going to leave my home. I'm going to leave my country. I'm I'm going to go to Spain to preach the gospel. Acts 12 tells us that when he returned... Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some of the church, and then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. I'm going to go to Spain, and I'm going to be a missionary there. I'm going to preach the gospel. And when I come back, I'm going to be killed with a sword. Do I want to go away? Mm -mm. Where else would I go? He alone has the words of eternal life. The gospel comes from him. I'll follow him wherever he calls me to go, even if it means going to a far, distant country and only to come back to my home to be killed with a sword. John, do you want to go away? No, I saw and I believed. I'll be exiled to the island of Patmos, and I'll later die in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. Andrew, where do you want to go? You want to go? No. I'm going to take the good news to Greece and Asia Minor, and then I'm going to go all the way up to Russia. I'll go to Russia. Any of you that know geography at all know that's far. It's far to fly to Russia. Much less be like, no, I'm I'm going to go to Russia. I'll proclaim the gospel there. And then they're going to put me to death on an X-shaped cross. I'll do that. I'm not going anywhere else. Philip, I'm going to take the gospel to the Ukraine. I'll go to the Ukraine. I'm leaving Israel. I'm going to Ukraine. I'm going to preach the gospel in the Ukraine. And I'm going to be crucified on a tall cross in what's called modern-day Turkey. Bartholomew? I'm going to go to Asia Minor, and then I'm going to go to India. Still, the Armenian church claims that he's their founder. And then history tells us that he was flayed alive in Armenia. I'll do that. I'm not going anywhere. They could flay me alive. I'm not going anywhere. Matthew, I'm going to go to Persia and Macedonia and Syria and Parthia and Media, and then I'm going to go down to Ethiopia and then I'll die a martyr's death. Thomas? I was the one that said, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. But Thomas, we're told, he took the gospel to India and was later put to death by a spear and was buried in India. James, the son of Alphaeus, he was arrested, thrown off the temple, and then beaten to death with a club. Thaddeus? If you look at the symbol for him in the early church, it's a gold ship with silver sails before a red horizon. Because we're told that he got on a ship and he went to various places preaching the gospel. Simon the Zealot took the gospel to Persia. Do you guys want to go? Do you also want to go away? Lord, to whom shall we go? Where would I ever go? You alone have the words... Of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the question would go to those sitting in the pews here this morning. Do you also want to go away? Do you want to leave? Do you want to depart? Do you want to be apostate? Do you love the things of this world more than Christ? Or do you treasure him above all things? Are you in a place where revival has first taken place in your own heart? A great awakening has taken place in your own heart to where you look and, and, and whether the message is hard to hear or not, you look and you see, no, this is the most glorious message ever. God is sovereign. And all that the Father has given to the Son have come to Him. And that is me. And it's all by grace that I'm saved. It's not of works. I could never boast about any of it. Every bit of my salvation is a result of Christ and Him crucified and Him drawing me unto Himself. and. All of my allegiance is to him. And all the glory of my life and for all eternity belongs to him. And I will go wherever he calls me to go. And I'll proclaim that message to whomever he gives me the opportunity to proclaim it. Because where else would I go? He alone has the words of eternal life. That great awakening needs to first take place in our own hearts. That we might go and proclaim the good news to Ukraine or to Russia or to Persia or to Asia Minor or to India or to Ethiopia or to Mission Viejo or to Irvine or to Lake Forest or wherever it is that God calls us to be because it's the greatest news that we could ever hear. And there's no place else to go. We know where we found eternal life. And it's radically changed us. I pray to God that there would be no one here this morning that is offended by this message. Rather, you listen to it and say, it is him that I want to follow. I don't want to have one foot in the world and one foot towards Christ or have him have this tiny compartment in my life. I want to eat of him and drink of him and have it be where all of my hope is in him. It's not just a taste. He has all of me. It all belongs to him. May that be us. God had worked so mightily in the lives of these people that they loved him. They loved him. They loved the gospel even to proclaim it to the uttermost parts of the world even to die for the sake of the gospel. They counted a privilege to die for the sake of the gospel. And may that represent us. We're going to sing in a moment. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. My gracious Redeemer, Redeemer, my Savior, art thou. If ever I loved thee. My Jesus, tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me. And purchase my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I'll love thee in life, and I'll love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say when the death dew lies cold on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Let's pray together. Our Savior, we praise you for giving life to us who were dead. We praise you for the gospel that it does not offend us, but rather we cling to it. Our only hope in this life is the gospel. I pray that you give us boldness to proclaim it. that we wouldn't resort to just this kind of consumer Christianity. I pray that we would never desire to try to improve the gospel. The gospel cannot be improved upon. May we see the weight of our sin, and may it cause us to just be in love with our gracious Redeemer. May we see... Our substitute, Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain for us on the cross. And may it cause our hearts to forever praise you. May we hear words like, and whoever comes to me I will no way cast out. And may it just give us boldness to go even to the uttermost parts of this world proclaiming the gospel. May it give us boldness to proclaim the gospel in our own homes and amongst our own family. Lord Jesus, we pray for just a revival and great awakening to take place within our own hearts. That we might treasure you above everything else in this world. And if asked, do you also want to go away? May we respond like the disciples. To whom would we go? Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe. We believe that you're our Savior. We believe that you're our Lord. We believe that you're the Messiah. We believe that you're our God. You're the Son of the living God. We believe. Our hope, all of it is in you. I have the thought to know that the only reason why we could say that is the result of your grace. If ever, Lord, We love thee, but Jesus, tis now. As people said, Amen.